Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 229. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. And as always, I'm joined by one of the marvelous members of the Blueprint Live Online Instructor Crew. We are continuing our breakdown of Blueprint MCAT Full Length 1. We are now in the psych soch section, passage two, and we're hanging out with Paul, who's going to help us break it down. Paul, back for another MCAT podcast. Last week, we got to hang out and talk about psych soch passage one, a full length one from Blueprint. We're continuing our breakdown now with with passage two, which uh, I think the the as students are going through this process right the end is getting near the anxiety of like i can finally be done with the mcat forever hopefully fingers crossed i can go out and actually see some friends tonight although with the new seven hour test it's really hard uh, there's really no night anymore i i remember when i took the test it was still like four and a half hours uh, on paper um and uh i I, I did my prep with uh, a different company. Blueprint wasn't around, so so I, I'm not scared of saying I did my prep with a different company. And uh, they took everyone who who prepped with them out to the bar after the MCAT as as part of the celebration. So that was that was kind of nice. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it too. Um, so a, again, we've talked a lot about transitioning from passage to passage. Just some breaths, some muscle squeezes, getting some tension out looking up. Um, so let's go ahead and jump in and and look at passage two. Perfect. All right. And so I would I've reset and then just jump into passage two once I've kind of calmed down from passage one. Uh, so first paragraph, between three and 10% of Americans have a major depressive episode each year. Women are twice as likely to suffer from depression as men and the highest incidence of first depressive symptoms is seen between the ages of 30 and 40. The second largest incidence is seen in ages 50 to 60. Depression correlates strongly with other neurological conditions, such as stroke and Parkinson's disease, and is also seen in higher rates among urban populations. So I pause and I say, wow, a lot of info. Uh, I would definitely want to highlight some of these kind of correlations or women are more likely. Uh, so I'd probably just note that women are twice as likely to suffer from depression. And then we have these two age groups 
uh, for these highest and second highest uh, incidence of first depressive symptoms. Um, and so I would note, yeah, 30 through 40 and then 50 to 60. And then the last thing that I would want to note is that we have this strong correlation with other neurological conditions. Um, I probably would just highlight that uh, if I needed to come back and figure out what those conditions were, I, I could find it easier now. But if I highlight stroke and Parkinson's, it's not going to help me remember it any better. So I'm going to have to come back either way. And then lastly, I would also just highlight urban populations. Uh, so it seems like people that live in urban populations have these higher rates. So a lot more highlighting than I typically would want to do, but a lot of information. Yeah. Paragraph two, a group of researchers is interested in exploring the potential of ascorbic acid or vitamin C in improving treatment outcomes for patients with depression after preliminary data showed that ascorbic acid supplementation with anxiety medication may improve outcomes. Patients were diagnosed with depression using the criteria found within the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, DSM-5. They then were administered a Hamilton Depression Rating Scale, HDRS, Inventory for Depression, which consists of a questionnaire measuring the severity of depression by ranking certain depressive feelings and behaviors. Generally, a higher score on the HDRS indicates a more severe depressive symptoms. Researchers assessed baseline measurements for depression using, using the HDRS, then provided patients with four weeks of selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, a common medication used to treat depression. Half the patients were randomized to supplement their SSRI uh, regimen with ascorbic acid, while the other half supplemented their treatment with a placebo. The study results are shown in table one below. Who okay. <laughs> big paragraph, uh -oh. <laughs> but there's actually, I'm not, I'm not going to highlight the details. I am a big believer of big ideas. Um, I don't get lost in the weeds. So towards the top of the paragraph, I would want to note what kind of the research question or what the goal is. So this potential for vitamin C to improve treatment outcomes. And I really wouldn't go into this middle of the paragraph with much highlighting, um, but towards the bottom of the paragraph, I would note that we have like our treatment groups. So this researcher is assessed. After that, we have these four weeks of SSRIs. And then I would just note that half supplemented SSRIs with ascorbic acid, other half had a placebo. And I wouldn't, go after any of the details in the middle of the paragraph. Uh, if I need to, I can come back um, and check that out. Um, maybe you might note, depending on your memory, that a higher score on the HDRS indicates more severe depressive symptoms. I think I can remember that decently enough with my, without having to highlight it. All right, and then we're given table one. So actually a fairly short passage. We this is the last bit of information, uh, but read the caption, table one, the results of the Hamilton Depression Rating Scale, HDRS, at baseline and eight weeks after treatment with either the ascorbic acid or a placebo. So I look at my kind of headers in bold. I have my ascorbic acid supplementation group, my placebo supplementation group. 
Then I move down a line and I see I have, oh, the baseline score uh, on the left and then the four weeks later post-treatment um, score on the right for both groups. And kind of hanging off to the left, there's this plasma ascorbic acid, some 50 to 150 milligrams per milliliter. Um, okay, maybe I'll need that later. But then I look at the actual numbers. I try to tell a story. So I glance at them and looks like I have numbers with a plus or minus value. And right away, I see that there is a little asterisk by the HDRS four weeks later, that post-treatment for the ascorbic acid supplementation. Um, and so I start thinking significance. Uh-oh, we have significance given. And it's from 4.45 to 7.49 uh, with a little plus and minus. Check down in that kind of bottom caption, that asterisk indicates a statistically significant difference between baseline and post-treatment HDRS values. Okay, I have um, that significance in this table for the vitamin C supplementation group. And I just try to tell that overall story to myself. Placebo supplementation, I don't see any asterisks and no significance. Mm -hmm. So they had that same score uh, on the HDRS, uh, pre-treatment and post-treatment. Yeah. Ascorbic acid supplementation, on the other hand, it looks like after treatment, they had a significantly higher HDRS. And I remember like higher is kind of quote unquote bad, uh, more uh, depressive symptoms. And so yeah. that is my takeaway. And that is actually pretty interesting. That kind of like rings alarm bells in my mind um, because we're trying to help people not make their depression <laughs> nah, make worse. It worse. Although if you if you believe social media, big farm is out to get us. So um. <laughs> oh, it all it's all coming together. <laughs> this big pharma is telling us to take vitamin C to to help with our depression. All right, so yeah, that that's interesting. I I wanted to go back because that's not something we highlighted. I'm like, what was HDRS again? Was was higher better? And so a higher score in HDRS indicates more severe depressive symptoms. All right, there it is. So that is no bueno. Nope, not good. All right. So question six, so again, short passage, lots of information that I think a lot of students are going to get kind of mucked up in the middle here uh, with all of these details. Uh, but but again, mile wide, inch deep. Don't, don't get sucked into the details. Question six, mm -hmm. based on the findings of the experiment, what conclusion can be drawn by the researchers? And so we kind of already kind of said, well, based on on this table, without even looking at the answer choices, Vitamin C is, doesn't look like it's helpful at all. So let's see if any of the answer choices go with that. So A, patients with depression should supplement their SSR, SSRIs with ascorbic acid. No, uh, we just said the opposite of that, right? Answer choice B, patients should discontinue their SSRIs and replace them with ascorbic acid. We didn't study that at all, right? We only looked at... Uh, vitamin C with the SSRI, so that doesn't make sense. C, patients taking SSRI should avoid ascorbic acid. Yeah, that's that's the dead ringer for what we just thought about. And then D, no conclusions can be made based on the information provided. Uh, and that's not uh, true because we do have this statist statistically significant number here. So I'm gonna go to answer choice C. Yeah, don't take vitamin C if you're on SSRIs um, for depression. Absolutely. That C is absolutely correct on that. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. So that, that's a pretty straightforward one. Do you recommend that? Uh, do you recommend kind of trying to, before you're reading the answer choices, trying to go, well, what do I know? What do I assume is going to be the answer? And then go find that answer. So, yeah, I, I try to, my kind of go-to strategy on questions really for any section um, is read the question, maybe rephrase it in your mind if that helps mm -hmm. uh, to figure out what they're actually asking and then make a prediction. Yeah. Um, there are some where you obviously can't. It's like, oh, like it's just going to be too broad or too specific and you have to kind of go through one by one. If I try to make a prediction uh, and then ideally you can have like one correct answer that just lines up like we just saw. Um, but sometimes you don't get one like an answer that sticks out, but you can eliminate one or two wrong answers that just completely go against your prediction. Mm. So I do recommend that. And it can save you a lot of time going through questions if you notice that your timing um, is a little slow on your questions. Yeah. Um, all righty. So question seven. Question seven. In order to have confidence in their results, the researchers in the study likely ensured both diversity and parity across treatment groups for all the following demographic differences, except then we have gender, place of residence, age, and political persuasion. <laughs> this one seems too obvious, right? We, we know that <laughs> women are more likely than men, so that seems important. We know it mentioned the urban environment, um, as potentially an issue. And we know that age is potentially an issue. Political persuasion is, is a, seems like a very easy answer here. Yeah. I don't remember reading anything about <laughs> what your political views were or what party you were in, uh, in this passage. That's just out of left field. Yeah. I wish the MCAT were this easy. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> that would be nice. Not. Yeah. Question eight, a drive reduction and cognitive theorist would argue that depression is most strongly correlated with a deficiency in what component of fulfillment? All right. This is like our first real psych social question here. Like, oh, I got to remember this stuff. Like, is this Freud? Is this some other dude? Uh, they're, they're always dudes that, that have all these theories, unfortunately. Um, so... A, socialization, B, stigma, C, arousal, or D, self-efficacy. All right. So I don't remember drive reduction and cognitive theorists and what their kind of stance on life is. Um, but obviously, they there there is some, some uh, theorist out there, theory out there that says, hey, depression is most likely... Um, because of this thing. So let's see if we can we can uh, logically come to this conclusion. So most strongly correlated with a deficiency in which component of fulfillment? It seems kind of obvious that it would be socialization, right? We think of depression as as more of a lonely type of um, of illness, uh, wanting to withdraw from society and not getting any fulfillment or any, a happiness out of anything. And so that to me, just right off the bat, seems like the most obvious answer and not remembering drive drive reduction and cognitive theory. Maybe I forgot to study that, that one. Uh, I would just go with that and move on. Gotcha. So 
I, for any question, any passage, always suggest reading through all the answer choices, even if like the, like the first one that you, that you look at seems like just the one to go with. Um, so I'm a big fan of that. Um, Cause I think this is kind of a tough question. It really, I mean, you got to know drive reduction and cognitive theorists. All right. All right. If you know I, it, I, great. I'm going to, I'm going to pause for one second. I'm going to pause. I, I want to redo. I want to redo on my answer. So there, there's this weird, the, there's this weird connection that I'm seeing between drive reduction and arousal. There, there's something weird there. Uh, and, and so I'm going to change my answer to arousal just because there's something weird with dri- like the drive of something and the arousal of something seem to go hand in hand uh, and depression being the opposite of that. So I'm going to change my answer to C. <laughs> Smart move. Smart move. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and, and C is going to be the correct answer. Um, and really this question really kind of comes down to this drive reduction. Because um, yeah, like, A, like socialization, arousal and self-efficacy, those would all kind of make sense just in general that, hey, depression is strongly correlated with the deficiency in socialization, self-efficacy or arousal. Stigma is kind of the opposite. We would think, oh, like more stigma maybe would be correlated with mm-hmm. depression. Uh, so B is kind of just want to throw out. Um, but then you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, socialization and self-efficacy um, aren't really going to be related to that drive reduction. So drive reduction, we basically have these these things that we're trying to to get rid of in our mind, these drives. And so we try to do behaviors to like minimize these, these pressures is kind of how I like to think about it. Um, and arousal, we have that mental alertness, just like, hey, are we, are we awake? Um, where that low arousal is kind of like bored, sleepy, maybe you're a little tired, um, kind of that low overall energy. And with like arousal, there's actually like a, some theories out there that you want to have this optimal level of arousal uh, to kind of have your standard functioning. And so if you have maybe lower arousal as well, that's definitely going to be in line with that uh, or possibly correlated uh, with depression. Yeah. All right. I got there eventually. <laughs> Read all the que- the answer choices. <laughs> wow. All right. Question nine. All right. Nine. Abnormal functioning of which brain region or regions plays a role in the development of depression? And then we have Roman numerals. Roman numeral one, frontal lobe. Two, limbic system structures. Three, the hypothalamus. And then our answer choices, we're maybe looking at frontal lobe only limbic system structures only uh, c would be frontal lobe and limbic system structures and then d all of the above frontal lobe limbic system and hypothalamus hmm so frontal lobe kind of executive functioning that i remember limbic system I don't know, just just basic like limbic system. I I think of fear. I don't know if that is uh, is that is that true or not. Um, but isn't isn't the hypothalamus part of the limbic system? <laughs> uh, so 
I think the hypothalamic, the hypothalamus is part of the limbic system, if I remember correctly. This is so long ago. Uh, so two and three seem like they have to go together, and then two and three isn't an option alone. So I would have to go with D. Yep, D D is going to be the correct answer. And do you have any like Roman numeral strategies that you you use whenever <laughs> you see this these types of questions? So I think the strategy we always use is like which which Roman numeral is in the most answers, uh, and here Roman numeral one is in the most answers, and so I'd go, is Roman numeral one right or wrong? I, I think that's typically the the strategy we go with every time. Is that gotcha. a strategy you use? Um, I so that's in this question I would um, I like the. Let's see if there's one in 50 50. Um, mm. And that way we can eliminate like half answer choices. Um, unfortunately, on this, there isn't one <laughs> um, yeah. that's in 50 50. But I think just having a strategy on Roman numerals, uh, whichever one you prefer, like is definitely something that every MCAT test taker um, should kind of think about and try to use. Mm. Yeah. So is the hypothalamus part of the limbic system? <laughs> So we're going to be I, correct on D. Do I get that wrong? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, because, I mean, the limbic system, you were, like you, like you said, what, like fear was the thing that kind of stood out yeah. in, in your, your mind? Yeah. And, yeah, it's going to be, like, really kind of emotions, uh, memory, and so, like, emotions and depression, mm. like, we're definitely going to have that involved uh, with depression and that hypothalamus as well, specifically that's like coordinating a ton of hormones yeah. um, and some of those dealing with emotion uh, and like memory or not memory, but emotion as well, like oxytocin. Um, but that hypothalamus is like the big yeah. coordinator um, with like the brain and getting all those hormones. Yeah. And, and I, I just confirmed the hypothalamus is part of the limbic system. So it makes this question a little bit easier if you remember that. Definitely. <laughs> All right. And then, yeah, frontal lobe, you either know it or you kind of, or you don't. Yeah. That executive functioning. All right. Question 10 is the next passage. So we did what, what you said. I'm like, oh, I didn't even pay attention. All right. So we got to the end. Uh, we survived. Uh, any any kind of words of wisdom on that that last one there? I mean, that's going to be one of those ones where like you have a lot of content on it, but you can also like, I've had this happen to me, like use that outside knowledge. I remember I have one question um, that comes up in one of the classes I teach where it's asking about like MSG and it's really like, do you know the parts of the brain? Mm. Um, but I remember from like growing up in the nineties, like when MSG was the, the bad the boy devil. of yeah. the food industry. Yeah because it was addictive. And so you can use that outside knowledge. And I was, I remember like, Oh, MSG addictive, like, Oh, limbic system can sometimes play a role with like addiction with that memory and kind of rewards. I kind of remember that from like a side note in my content review. Mm. And so I kind of went with an answer based on that. Uh, and it turned out to be a correct answer. Um, so use any of that kind of outside real world knowledge, um, especially for psych soch. Um, yeah. Not for that cars. Comes in, yeah, don't use it in cars. <laughs> <laughs> but any of the sciences, uh, mm. you can definitely use it. And I do find that it, I use it a little bit more in psych social where it comes in handy. All right, there you have it. Again, Blueprint MCAT Full Length 1, which you can get for free 
over at blueprintmcat.com by signing up for a free account. You get a half-length diagnostic. You get full-length one for free. You get access to their amazing study planner tool. And guess what else you get for free nowadays? You can go over to mcatflashcards.com and get some free flashcards from Blueprint MCAT as well. I love, one of one of the things that I love about Blueprint and why I do a lot with them is because they believe in providing as much value for free as possible, similar to what we do here at the medical school headquarters. So go check them out over at blueprintmcat.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast. This is MedEd Media.